Case number 22-3653, Israel Amadar Morales v. Mary Garland. Mr. Hoppeck. Hi, good morning. May it please the court, Matthew Hoppeck, for the petitioner, Mr. Amador. Um, the present appeal comes to the court on an interesting posture because it's an appeal of a denied motion to reopen. So rather than a direct appeal of a removal order, the question is whether the board abuses discretion in declining to reopen. We think the answer is yes. Um, the clearest error the board committed was its conclusion that its decision in matter of Fernandez didn't change the law. And by making that conclusion, the board decided that with no change in law, there was no reason to reopen. The board made an additional point that it believed Mr. Amador's objection to his charging document was not timely. Um, that was a new conclusion the agency had made after an immigration judge had accepted his objection to the notice to appear and the board hadn't previously deemed that objection untimely. Did, did the immigration judge make any direct finding on timeliness? In other words, is the timeliness issue first really addressed direct, directly with the board? Yeah, um, the immigration judge's decision, which is two pages, doesn't explicitly say the objection was timely, but it treats it as timely. Um, first, starting with the transcript where the, re the respondent is allowed to... Um, he files a, an amended pleading. The judge says, I anticipate there's going to be some changes because this Perea decision has come down. And then the immigration judge issues this written decision at 124 where he says the respondent has also retracted his admission of the factual allegations and concessions of the charge of removal. The trial judge could have said the respondent has attempted to retract, but I don't allow it, or the respondent has um, asked or moved for leave to amend his pleading, and I'm denying that motion. As I read this statement, the judge has accepted it as a certainty. He's retracted his pleading. But even clearer is the next few sentences where the judge says, okay, I'm going to resolve removability on the rest of the record, not the admissions. He says, okay, fine. The DHS has submitted evidence of removability. Based on that evidence, I'm finding removability. Was, and, and was timeliness really an issue there? I guess that's what I'm trying to get at. When is, when is the first time that either the IJ or the board um, – found that timeliness was something that needed to be determined, I guess, as a matter of, like, fact and law? So the board it, didn't say, the board issued its decision in Fernandez and sort of for the first time addressed this question of when this kind of objection is timely. What's left, the big question mark, though, is what do you do with a case where the judge has allowed him in an amended pleading? And I think for that, we don't have an answer. The agency hasn't said which would be a great reason to remand for the agency to address that. And that would be what, what is the definition of the close of pleadings? Or how, what would the question be that the, the board would have to address? Well, Fernandez addressed the straightforward question. If you have a simple pleading and then you move on to relief, pleading has closed when you enter your pleading. It's a fair rule. Uh, the, the problem is that this case doesn't fit neatly in that pattern because there was a pleading. I mean, there's more issues here. I mean, 
rather than accept service, the respondent said, I don't even have a copy of the charging document. The judge showed him his copy and, and let him uh, um, enter a pleading. But as the regulations, sort of the flow chart from the regulations are, when somebody enters a pleading, the judge can then either accept the pleading and determine removability or set a hearing. And reading through the transcript, the judge didn't say, I'm accepting your pleading and I determine removability. The judge just set it over for a hearing. The record is messy. Um, but here, to answer your question directly, nobody addressed, nobody said this objection is not timely at trial. DHS didn't take that position. The judge didn't say so. On appeal, when they appealed the decision, the DHS didn't argue in its briefing that this objection wasn't timely. The board didn't say in its, in its original decision that this objection wasn't timely. It didn't say so until it denied the motion to reopen. And there it said, well, we've issued matter of Fernandez, this precedent that says when pleadings are closed and your, your objection is untimely. Our quibble is that this case doesn't fit neatly within the pattern described in matter of Fernandez because there are cases, not in this court, but several that we've cited in our briefing where circuits and the board have allowed a pleading to be withdrawn because the law has changed. And if the pleading is allowed to be withdrawn, which I think at least reading between the lines in the judge's decision, that's what happened here. Um, then the open question is, so then what? For, for purposes of matter of Fernandez and the remedies for claims processing rules, what do you do if the pleading was allowed to be withdrawn? I would say pleadings aren't closed if the judge is still allowing you to amend them. Um, so that's really primarily the question. Uh, and I, I wish we had a clearer answer from the agency. It would be much easier to argue to the court that you should find the agency's reasoning unreasonable or, or find the statute clear on its face and apply Chevron. But what you don't have is really any ruling from the agency about how this fact pattern fits within Fernandez. Judge Hugh Mullane, the, the BIA member who issued the decision, just kind of you know, swings it away. He says, uh, we just explained all of this in matter of Fernandez. And then in the next sentence, he says, you waived your claim. And, and what's missing there is the, OK, what was explained in matter of Fernandez? Or why is this case the kind of waiver you were talking about in, in matter of Fernandez? Well, um, counsel, it looked to me like, let me just lay, throw this out there, see what you think. Uh, looked to me like uh, one possibility here is that the immigration judge um, didn't really get to the question of the timeliness of the retraction of admissions and concessions and actually found an independent basis for, for removal. In other words, he said, okay, even if, even if petitioner is permitted to do this, he still loses. I, th I think that's fair. I think there's a fair reading here where the judge just doesn't address the timeliness at all. Mm -hmm. um, but it is still a bit of a rug pull to have an immigration judge, at least on its face, treat the pleading as withdrawn. And, and backing up a second. There weren't any cases about whether, when this kind of objection had to be made until Matter Fernandez. This court had, had issued several decisions, but all of them were about jurisdiction, not about this claims processing part. And the board had issued several decisions on jurisdiction, but it never said, when do you have to raise the claims processing rule until Fernandez? That, I think that's part of why the judge didn't go into it, because it wasn't really an issue at the time. But um, as I read the decision, the judge is accepting the decision as, quote, retracted. And then we get up on appeal, or he gets up on appeal, and nobody says this was an untimely objection. They address it on the merits. 
And after several series of merits objections or merits, merits decisions, we get a board decision saying, this has been untimely since the beginning. Um, if there were a clear decision in the agency's favor that addressed this scenario, I, I, you know, we may not have taken this appeal. But uh, well, the problem is the agency has not explained its rule and has left Mr. Amador with, um, I, I think, an incomplete decision. So the last thing I wanted to mention, I know I'm into my rebuttal time, is there's a second point where he asked the board to remand this case so that we can address prosecutorial discretion. The board reframed that argument as something else. It's a thing the board tends to do. Um, it said, well, we can't require them to grant you prosecutorial discretion. The problem is he didn't ask them to require the board to grant prosecutorial discretion. It's the exact same thing that the board did in the... the um, in the Caballero-Martinez case, where the respondent asked for a remand so that his U visa could be considered. And the board said, well, we don't grant U visas. <laughs> That's not what he was asking for. Counsel, uh, since your time's short, the last sentence, though, says, our decision does not affect your ability to get prosecutorial discretion. What about that? It's true. I mean, the Department of Homeland Security could exercise discretion at some point in the future. But we're in a better position if there's not a final order of removal hanging over my client's head. He has different leverage. Um, and the board's policy document, which is cited in our brief, says the board does have a role in this process. It, it's supposed to ask of the parties whether the person is a priority. So the board's position that, um, that we, we can't force them to exercise discretion is a, is a bit of a paper tiger. It's you know, setting up a straw man. That's not the thing you asked for because it's easier to say, say no to. Thank you. Thank you. Ms. Snyder. And I think it does go down there on the right. Thank you. <laughs> Good. It's in the middle, sorry. Thank on you. On this no, one. Absolutely. All right. Good morning, Your Honors, and may it please the court. My name is Alana Snyder, and I'm appearing today on behalf of the United States Attorney General. Respectfully, we're asking for denial of this petition for review. This is because the board did not abuse its discretion in denying petitioner's motion to reopen, which was based on two considerations, which my friend on the other side here hit upon, which is that matter of Fernandez does not constitute intervening precedent. And secondly, petitioner's case is distinguishable from matter of Fernandez because he failed to timely object to any deficiency in the notice to appear. So I'd like to just uh, hit on some of the points that um, my friend here on the other side uh, sort of hit upon. Uh, first, with respect to Judge Kelly's question regarding the timeliness issue, uh, there was no direct timeliness finding either by the immigration judge or by the Board of Immigration Appeals. My friend cited to the record, administrative record, page 124 and 125, which is the immigration judge's decision. There was nothing that the immigration judge even considered about timeliness. This is because there was no timeliness issue before the immigration it, judge. It can, um, if the, the IJ did not uh, sort of proceeded um, upon the assumption that there was no admission um, and, and sort of said, well, in any event, here's my ruling. So um, at a minimum, I think it's fair, isn't it, to say the IJ didn't say it was untimely. Sure, but that, of course, is not tantamount to saying that it is timely. And I think to sort of hit on Judge Shepard's point, which is that there might have been a reason that the immigration judge uh, said, looked to the record 
uh, for sustaining the allegations and sustaining the charge of removability. One of the reasons that I've sort of thought about after having worked in an immigration court might be the immigration judge might have looked at the record to preserve the record for appeal. Like here we are today on appeal. The immigration judge might wanted to have given this court something to look at physically, not just the admission and concession, but something actually to say, hey, here's the I-213 for you guys to look at. This is how we know the non-citizen entered the United States unlawfully. This is the date upon which he entered. Uh, I'd also like to point out that although Petitioner contends that there was no argument that was made about timeliness because it wasn't sort of an idea that was percolating, I'd note that the board's decision was rendered on July of 2022. By that time, not only had the Board of Immigration Appeals rendered matter of Enchifor and matter of Arambula Bravo, in which it had reserved the question of whether or not INA Section 239, subsection A, was a claim processing rule, thereby rendering the question of timeliness and forfeiture relevant, there were a number of circuit courts that had already said that the timeliness and forfeiture issue was relevant. That would be the 5th, the 3rd, the 7th, the 10th, and the 11th. So those decisions had already come out. Petitioner, notably, never filed any sort of 28J letter, as we referenced before in the last argument, any 28J letter to the board, any supplemental briefing to argue, hey, wait a second, this is something that I timely raised before the immigration judge. You should consider my timely you know, my timely amendment to the immigration judges, to the amendment and the concession. So that's another sort of point. He waited till the motion to reopen phase to raise this timeliness argument for the first time. Would, 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 you, would it be your position that um, this would be for before us in a stronger um, way if, in fact, he had, had raised it that way? I think that it's- procedural point? I think it certainly might be. Uh, because it seems to me that at, at a minimum, there's not a, an answer to the question of really what is the close of pleadings if, in fact, you have been permitted explicitly or implicitly to retract your initial pleadings and sort of, for lack of a better phrase, start over. And it seems to me that that question isn't answered, and it's. Um, I, I wonder if it is accurate to say, well, in matter of Fernandez, we decided this. We've explained all of this, and I wonder if 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 Fernandez did explain all of it. Sure, I think Fernandez decided that for the purposes, for the limited purposes of this specific claim, this specific incident about raising the argument with respect to a deficient NTA, when a non-citizen is called upon or asked upon to. Uh, give a pleading, he or she, and then answers or enters his or her pleading, that is the close of pleadings. And this is supported by the regulation that we cited to, and my friend on the other side as well cited to, which is 8 CFR section 1240.10 subsection C. That subsection says that the immigration judge shall require the petitioner to plead to the notice to appear by stating whether he or she admits or denies the factual allegations and his or her removability under the charges therein. Can, 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 the, can they amend? So amendment, as we noted in our 28J letter, under matter of Velazquez, the non-citizen can amend a plea, but only under egregious circumstances, which are not alleged in this case. Those two egregious circumstances are ineffective assistance of counsel, and secondly, if the non-citizen alleges that the factual allegations are not true. Well, Mr. Mr. Um, uh, Hoppick said that, that this happens, I don't know if regularly, but it does happen when it, there's a change in law, that the immigration judge can permit 
a retraction of a, of a pleading and, uh, I guess, start over? Sure. And amendment of pleading does happen, but again, it's limited to those circumstances. And again, the so, the, uh, so and just so yeah, that please. I understand, so the, I guess it's petitioner here. Yeah. So the petitioner has, has more limitations on amendment than the government does, than the DHS, because they can amend at any time. So, I would note that, that the government can amend at any time, but under that regulation, which is 8 CFR section 1003.30, the pleading phase begins again. So if the DHS does choose to amend pleadings, right, to, excuse me, to amend the notice to appear by adding a charge or supplementing a charge, immediately again, section 1240.10 kicks in. So, but, but, it is, but it is your position under the regulations that um, the petitioner does not have that same liberty to, say, retract. I mean, can, I guess my question is, is what Mr. Hoppick is describing as having happened in the immigration court, yes, I conceded an inadmissibility, oh, but now I'm retracting that. Is that a thing. Can, 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 can the petitioner do that? Yes, the petitioner can do that. I'd, I'd like to caveat what I'm saying just by noting that the petitioner was represented in these proceedings, that Mr. Amador Morales was represented before the immigration judge when both at the time that he entered his initial admission and concession, which is at administrative record 130 to 131, and both when he tried to withdraw his admission and concession. So I'd like to add that caveat. And that's why I'm just trying to get a sense of, of whether whether this issue is, sort of, is still a live issue, is, is if the petitioner withdraws or retracts a pleading to sort of start over, right. do we then look, then there's not the... Then, then if he files this this motion, it's before the close of pleadings. I'm just trying to figure out if that's yeah. something that's been decided or whether it's something that the board sort of just glossed over and didn't note the right. factual distinctions that were being asserted. I think one of the things that helped me to understand this case, I think because it's a little confusing, I think for in the re, in, in Fernandez, the board was trying to determine for this specific scenario just with respect to a deficient notice to appear. And one of the things that I think was like a little confusing at the beginning was the idea of there is no prejudice that needs to be required if the non-citizen timely raises the objection. And why is it that the non-citizen needs to show no prejudice? If you just bear with me for a moment, I promise this makes sense. So the non-citizen does not need to show prejudice because if the non-citizen raises the objection before the close of pleadings, right? Nothing has happened at that point in time. There's been no admission and concession. There's been no relief from removal discussed. So of course, it not only gives the, the non-citizen the opportunity to sort of raise this argument, but also the non-citizen, there, there's nothing to sort of discuss. The Department of Homeland Security at that point can then refile the notice to appear with the date and the time appropriately noted on the notice to appear. And then the, non, the proceedings can sort of start over from the beginning with the appropriate notice to appear and the non-citizen can sort of be restored with the appropriate notice to appear. The, again, Fernandez was speaking to a very limited circumstance. This is not about, you know, conflating removability with the pleading phase. This is about just a very limited circumstance. Did the immigration judge on the record accept an admission of removability? 
Yes, at administrative record page 130 to 131. Are those terms used, except and except an admission of removability? No, the immigration judge did not explicitly state, but the regulations don't require the immigration judge to explicitly state on the record that he, you know, the immigration judge here she must sustain. Why do you believe it doesn't read that way? Your, your main authority, uh, 1240.10c. Yes. It says if the immigrant does not accept, but you say look at actions, not at words. Yes. I can see my time is out. Would you mind if I continue? No, no, please do. Okay, please, please do. Please do. Sure. Uh, and as we explained in our brief, there are two, it's axiomatic that there are two phases to an immigration but trial. But the fulcrum is the sentence I'm talking about. Yes. The fulcrum of the two phases. Go ahead. Yes. And so it's clear from the, from the transcript, that administrative record, page 128, that the only relief from removal that was being discussed at this time was a U visa, the petitioner's eligibility for a U visa. So immediately after, the immigration judge says, okay, counsel, do you need more time to go for a U visa? Like, do you want some more time? And the immigration judge and then petitioner's counsel says, yes, I'd like more time to consider that. So it's clear the immigration judges, by actions, shifting the trial over to the removal, to the, the relief phase. So we can see that, you know, it's clear at that time that removability is over at that phase and the immigration judges shifting over the trial to the relief phase. We are out of pleadings. We are out of section 1240.10 subsection C at that time. Okay, thank you, Dermot. Let me see if there are any other questions. Seeing no other questions, thank you for your argument. Thank you, Your Honors. Mr. Hoppick. Apologies. Take your time. I used up most of my time, so I'll be brief. Um, if we're okay with looking at actions and not words, I'm back to the IJ's decision where he took the action of accepting a retracted pleading, even though he didn't explicitly say, I grant the motion or I permit the, the retracted pleading. I think the judge's decision stands um, for what it says and then the actual outcome. Uh, but, but one thing I want to center the, the court's attention to is the board here never said that you can or cannot amend pleadings. The, the government said some things that I don't think are accurate. We cite a series of cases where people have been allowed to amend their pleadings for a change of law. There's the Sixth Circuit case, the Hanna case in the first. There's a Ninth Circuit case and a BIA decision. But that issue isn't before the court because the board here didn't say, you're not allowed to amend your pleadings. And the court only accepts the rationale that the agency gave in its decision. The real issue here, I think, sort of can start and end with, did Fernandez change the law? I think the Department of Justice concedes as much in its briefing page 18, where it says, the day to determine whether 239A was a claims processing rule finally came with the board's issuance of matter of Fernandez. And if the board's decision changed the law, then the board here is wrong. Because twice it says, we didn't change the law in Fernandez, and so you don't get a second shot. If the board is wrong, we'd ask the court to remand for the reasons I said earlier and the reasons I'm saying now. Okay. Thank you. Let me see if there are questions. Seeing none, thank you both for the argument. Thank you. And case number 22-3653 is submitted for decision by the court. Ms. McKee.